of her confidence at Christ's second coming. But conjoined with that is the final judgment. So how do you picture the final judgment? What do you see in your mind's eye when you think of judgment day? Does it frighten you? Do you see yourself standing before a solemn, even harsh judge who's about to expose every evil thought you've ever had and evil deed you've ever done? Now, that's a fairly common picture of Judgment Day. And at first glance, that appears to be the picture painted in Revelation 20. But if we pull together other scriptures that deal with the final judgment and interpret the vision of Revelation in light of them, I think we can find that the Judgment Day does not have to be a frightening picture at all. At least not for those of us who are in Christ. So let's take a fresh look at Judgment Day this morning. And let's begin with a look at the judge himself. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. John's vision of the final judgment opens with a picture of the great white throne. And as John put it, him who sat upon it. At the appearance of the great white throne, the throne of judgment, as differentiated from the throne of heaven that we saw in chapter 4, the text says earth and heaven fled away. Now, whether heaven here refers to the physical heavens or to the heavenly abode of spiritual beings, we can't be sure. It's possible that what's being pictured is the removal of the present abode of both physical and spiritual beings, both being removed to make way for the new heaven and the new earth. But most assume the picture here is simply one of the physical universe being removed, leaving the inhabitants of earth with no place to hide. They're left totally exposed to the judge of the universe. And who is the judge? Who is him who sat upon the throne? Obviously, it's God, the creator of the universe. We're often reminded in Scripture that we will be held accountable, that we will be judged by God. In Romans 14.10, Paul plainly states that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone must answer to God. But if we picture the one on the throne solely as God the Father... We are overlooking something that is very important. In John 5:22, Jesus said, "For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son." 
Now, this verse is part of Jesus' discourse on his equality with God, where he shows that he and the Father work together in all things. And the value of understanding this, particularly as it relates to judgment, is that we generally feel more acceptable to the Son than we do to the Father. And we tend to view Jesus as the Savior and God as the judge. But Jesus makes it clear here that he and the Father work together in all things. And in fact, both are referred to in Scripture as Savior and as judge. The Apostle Paul who said we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God in Romans 14, says almost the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.10, except there he refers to the judgment seat as the judgment seat of Christ. It's therefore the totality of God that sits on the throne, both the Father aspect and the Son aspect, and I find that very comforting. You know, I find it comforting to know that the one who died for me sits on the throne of judgment. The only thing that could give me more assurance on judgment day would be for me to be enthroned with Christ rather than standing before him. And believe it or not, we can be. We can be. No, Jesus told the apostles that when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, they will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And Paul, reprimanding the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 for taking one another to court, reminded them that the saints will judge the world and will even judge angels. So on judgment day, The saints will not be standing before a throne. They will be on a throne. Is that surprising? On Judgment Day, the saints will not be standing before a throne. They will be on a throne. So who will be standing before the throne? Who will the defendants be? In this celestial court. Let's read on. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. John says he saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. But who are the dead? And our first assumption is that the dead here refers to everyone who has ever lived. And that on Judgment Day, everyone will rise from the dead and stand before the throne. But what about those who are living when Christ returns? You know, Paul makes it clear in 1 Thessalonians 4 that some will be alive when Jesus returns. And in 2 Timothy 4, that Christ will judge both the living and the dead. So why does John only see the dead standing before the throne? Could it be that the term dead has some special significance here? I think it could. 
You know, back in verse 5, we suggested that the dead who do not come to life in the millennium are the spiritually dead. Those who refuse to accept the gift of life in Christ. Could it be that the dead pictured before the throne are those who are spiritually dead at the second coming and not everyone who has ever lived? I think so. In the 11th chapter of Revelation, we were given a brief picture of the judgment. And there it says, the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to give the reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear thy name. There, a definite distinction is made between the dead who are to be judged and the saints who are to be rewarded. There was the spiritually dead who were to be judged, not the physically dead. Now, I think Jesus indicated the same thing in John chapter 5. He begins in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And he goes on to say in verses 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Those who have passed out of spiritual death into spiritual life in this life will, if they have died physically by the time Christ returns, simply rise to experience life to the fullest in the presence of their Lord. Judgment took place for them when they accepted Christ as Savior and remained faithful to Him until death. They will not be judged at the second coming. They will be rewarded with the fullness of eternal life. The spiritually dead, however, will be judged at the second coming. They will have to stand as defenseless defendants before the throne of God. A throne upon which will be seated God the Father, God the Son, and the saints, the believers who have joined Christ Upon his throne. So if we're in Christ, we won't have to stand before the great white throne. We will be on it with our Lord. Does that surprise you? I think it's true. I think it's true. We will be sitting in judgment over a world that has rejected Christ. We will not be facing judgment on Judgment Day. But some will. The spiritually dead will be judged. And what will be the basis 
of judgment. How will the spiritually dead be judged? What uh, evidence will be introduced before the throne? Let's see. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. John saw books opened, books that contained detailed records of every dead man's sins, his deeds, his thoughts. And the dead, the spiritually dead, were judged by the things written in the books. Now, the thoroughness of these books is attested to by the fact that, again, they not only contained a record of deeds, but also words and thoughts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, that every careless or idle word we have ever said will have to be accounted for on the day of judgment. And Paul made it clear in Romans 2 that on judgment day, God will judge even the secrets of men. Now, that's a scary thought. Is it not? I remember as a kid being scared to death by that. Now, it tells you what generation I was in. I was taught to, to picture a movie projector. And then on Judgment Day, everything I had ever done or said or thought was going to be projected up there. For everyone to see. Man, that freaked me out. Not that I ever had any bad thoughts or actions. Just in case I might have one. That's a scary thought, is it not? These books are very thorough. Nothing in a man's life will go unnoticed. And... Take note of the fact they're being judged by their deeds, their thoughts, their actions. They're not being judged on whether or not they've accepted Jesus. We've dealt with that many times. People say it's not fair. People who haven't heard, how could God ever judge them if they're not the opportunity? He's not going to judge them on the basis of what they did with Jesus. He's going to judge them on the basis of their deeds, their thoughts, their words. It's pretty scary. And contrary to the popular opinion that good deeds can balance out bad or hopefully even outweigh them on Judgment Day, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that any sin at all condemns a man. The wages of sin is death. The wages of any sin is death. One bad deed, one bad word, one bad thought recorded in the books will condemn a man on judgment day. 
thought this was supposed to be a comforting sermon. Stay with it. We can be sure that all the dead, all the spiritually dead, who will also be physically dead at this time, having been devoured by the fire from heaven or slain by the word of God at his appearing, will be there facing that judgment. And none of them, none of the spiritually dead will be able to escape. Now, the ancients had a real fear of dying at sea because they were afraid if a man's body wasn't buried, his spirit would not be able to find rest, that it would be lost forever, and neither his body nor his spirit would be available for resurrection on the last day. Well, John made it clear that even the sea would give up the dead on Judgment Day, and that, by the way, is why we have assurance for a burial at sea today, why it's acceptable. But the point John was making wasn't a comforting one. It was that no one would escape judgment, not even those who had been buried at sea. In fact, death and Hades, the abode of the dead, pictured as having swallowed up the dead, would give up their dead. All the spiritually dead, dead, that's not a misprint, all the spiritually dead, dead will come to life on Judgment Day only to face the books, the evidence that condemns them, and they will be sentenced eternally. Let's look at that sentence. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In 1 Corinthians 15:26, Paul said that the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And here we see that taking place. Death and Hades are both thrown into the lake of fire. And then everyone whose name is not found in the book of life is also thrown into the lake of fire. Now, John mentioned the book of life in verse 12. In contrast to the books containing the record of deeds. And here we see that everyone whose name is not in the book of life is condemned. There's no way a man can escape condemnation apart from being listed in the book of life. Or as it's also called, the Lamb's book of life. And who is included in the Lamb's book of life? Only those who belong to the Lamb. Those who, according to Revelation 3, 5, have been clothed in white garments. Those who have been cleansed of their sin and have identified themselves as belonging to the Lamb of God. There is no way a man can escape the lake of fire 
apart from Jesus Christ. It's a pretty narrow, exclusive statement, isn't it not? It's not very well accepted in our society. The scripture makes it very clear. There is no way to escape the lake of fire apart from Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's only through him and him alone that sin is forgiven. Those evil deeds, words, and thoughts that would keep us out of heaven are erased, are wiped away by the blood of the Lamb. 600 years before Christ, Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to make available to his people a new covenant under which iniquity would be forgiven and sin completely forgotten. If we've entered into that covenant with the Father through the Son, we have no evil deeds, words, or thoughts in the books any longer. They've been removed from the record. As the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, which, by the way, means they will never come together again, unlike they would have had they only been removed as far as the north is from the south. That is so cool. You know, north and south meet together at the poles. But you can never go so far east that you end up going west. I think that is cool. That's just a little geographical confirmation about the amazing accuracy of the biblical record. Our sins will be removed as far as the east is from the west. Now, look at that again, Mindy. Remember north and south? Work on that, okay? I think that's, that, that, that has amazed me forever. The record of our wrongs will be removed. And the only record that will be reviewed by our Lord at his coming is our record of good deeds, our record of good works. And those that pass the test of being sincere, faithful works of a steward seeking to be obedient to his Lord will gain for us rewards in heaven. And that is the only judgment that will await us after death. If we are in Christ, if we've had our names recorded in the Lamb's book of life, and our names haven't been erased because of unfaithfulness, because we gave up our inheritance and never returned to our Father for restoration, we have nothing to fear on Judgment Day. Nothing. When the books are opened... There won't be any deeds or words or thoughts if you're in Christ. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, your name doesn't appear over there. That's amazing. That's good news. <laughs> that is good news. 
However, if we've never been cleansed by the blood of Christ and therefore never identified ourselves as belonging to the Lamb, we do have much to fear. And the picture of judgment and revelation should make us very much afraid. So I have pictures of a lake of fire. Outside of Christ, there is much to fear. And the final judgment, our deeds, our words, our thoughts will condemn us. And it will be too late to do anything about it. The book of life will have already been completed. And if our name is not in it, we will be condemned to the second death, the lake of fire. Where Satan, his allies, and those who worship the beast instead of the Son of God will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, there's no good news if there isn't bad news. We've got to understand the bad news before we celebrate the good news. We live in a day when no one wants to acknowledge judgment. That's, that's a lie of the devil. <laughs> Judgment day is coming. We will be held accountable somewhere along the line. And if we do not accept a gift of grace and forgiveness in this life, if we do not have our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west, if we do not have our name in the Lamb's book of life, we will be condemned on Judgment Day. End of story. There's no getting around it. But thanks be to God, that day is not yet here. There's still time to respond to Jesus' invitation to come to him. We don't know how long that invitation will be open, but it is still open now. So my prayer for you, if you haven't responded to it as of yet, is that you will respond now before it's too late. Now, Jesus said, if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father in heaven. He will identify us as belonging to him. Another picture of that Lamb's book of life. If we confess Jesus as our Lord before men, he will confess us before his Father in heaven. And if we belong to the Son of God, nothing, nothing will be found in the books that condemn us. All will have been forgiven. So if you've not done so, come. While there is still time to have your record of sin erased, come while the invitation is still open and Jesus is still calling.